Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I am your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of Counterthought. During this episode, we'll be discussing cancel culture. First, let's define that term, cancel culture. I know it's a somewhat new phenomenon. It's very popular nowadays with everyone having easy access to social media and just easy, easier ways to get their voice out there. No longer rely on word of mouth in order to uh, create a movement of sorts in order to get someone or some company or some idea, some movie, some show to sit down and shut up. But here we are. So cancel culture is a phenomenon of promoting the canceling of people, brands, shows, and movies due to what some consider to be offensive or problematic remarks or ideologies. Now, I first want to start off by getting a little bit into the history of cancel culture. When I first heard and was researching it, I was thinking of just today. I mean, it's 2021. I think we first started seeing this. I remember first starting to see cancel culture back, I don't know, at least four or five years ago. But it goes back a little bit farther than that, so we'll just take a quick peek at the history and uh, then dive right in. So a professor of sociology and criminology at Villanova University, Dr. Jill McCorkle, says that cancel culture today has roots that go back throughout human history. Dr. McCorkle says that societies have punished people for behaving outside of perceived social norms for centuries and that this is just another variation of that. Dr. McCorkle also says that cancel culture is an extension of, or a contemporary evolution, of a much bolder set of social processes that we can see in the form of banishment. They are designed to reinforce the set of norms. So basically, cancel culture is the attempt to cancel anything that goes against what the loudest majority believes should be the societal or cultural norms of the day. As I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, today's cancel culture trend goes back to more so about 2015, and it started with the hashtag is over party. So for example, if I was being canceled, it would be hashtag Brian Clutter or hashtag Brian is over party, and that would trend all over social media. But cancel culture today, it cuts deeper than just ignoring a person, a brand, a form of entertainment like a movie or a TV show or ignoring what someone says, or an idea. It cuts deeper than that. Cancel culture is a form of ostracization, to be cast out, to be banned. An example of this is trying to get someone fired, take their livelihood away from them. Or, if you are an athlete or an actor or an actress and you have endorsements, trying to get you to lose those endorsements. Or if you're a company trying to get you to lose your advertisers. That seems like a daily assault getting people who have radio shows or podcasts or TV shows and they say something during one of their episodes that you don't care for and you start calling their advertisers to force their hand to use their leverage and ultimately get that individual, their show, their company canceled. Cancel culture can also be called a cultural boycott. Whereas if someone or some organization says something that the, like I said, the loudest majority doesn't believe in, then they will boycott your idea, your beliefs, because it doesn't align with their culture. Now, the irony is they believe that their culture is the culture. 
that everyone needs to believe in that culture, those societal norms, which we know is not the case. We all have our own opinions, our own beliefs, our own views, our own ideologies, but that's not what that loudest majority wants. They want to set those ideals, those norms, those beliefs. And if you go against it, then you might as well just be gone. Cancel culture treats us as if you don't even exist. Like, sit down, shut up, and go away. Cancel culture today also has a vibe of being active and intentional. Like I said, with social media, it's so easy to communicate back and forth with people and generate a movement. Whereas before social media, you would have to do more organizing. Now all it creates, all now all you need is a hashtag, and you can either at someone or DM them, or send them a text, go on a website, and boom, instantly you have thousands. But the intentionality of it and the activeness of it, an example would be people who spend their days digging through social media accounts or show or movie archives, searching for something, the smallest of nuggets, one clip for you to be canceled. Cancel culture can also be described as intolerance. Someone says something you don't like, get enough people behind it, you can get them to be quiet, especially a company. Some of them, at least in recent memory, tend to bow down, as people like to say, to that cancel culture mob, just to get them to go away and be quiet themselves so that they can continue their business. And if you've noticed, paid any attention to the cancel culture in today's world, you'll notice that there is no political affiliation more so stemming from ideals and beliefs, not so much political party. And if it ever did seem like it was politically affiliated, there have been enough examples now, as we'll get into later, where you will see that you might be safe one day, but you're not the next. It'll come after whomever goes against that culture the loudest majority finds acceptable. So that begs the question, is cancel culture an infringement of free speech? Have you found yourself, as you've maybe witnessed this cancel culture in real time, Have you ever held your tongue or actions for fear of the consequences? Now I want to dive into some examples. And again, this is really only going back for the past five or six years when uh, this cancel culture movement really got ramped up. So these examples that I have here, it's about eh, seven or so, I believe. They span across uh, corporations, celebrities, politicians, and individuals. So the first one I want to touch on is Leah Michelle. She is most famous for her role as Rachel Berry on Glee. She was canceled two years ago, quote unquote canceled, two years ago, because things started being said around, I guess, Hollywood that she was not fun to work with. One person voiced their opinion that worked with her on Glee. And then I guess other people who also felt the same way from that Glee cast or other things that she has been in felt that then they could speak up and ultimately a group of people admitted that, hey, she is not pleasant to work with, and that was their form of canceling her. Complaining about that was their attempt to limit her attempts in the future to have roles in TV shows, films, or musicals. Seems petty, but that same thing happened to Ellen DeGeneres. This past week or two weeks ago, she said that she is retiring, or ending her show at least, her show of 19 years. And the reason why? Because her employees complained of a toxic work environment. Her show, which on camera is very welcoming and friendly, and she's very accepting and nice and always smiling and happy and having fun. Well, the word amongst the staff is that that is the exact opposite when the cameras are off. So in this case, just like with Leah Michelle, enough people complained, and now her show is done. She says she wants to do other things, that she has other things in the top of her mind that she wants to go pursue 
but I really think that she was told she needs to, to end her show regardless. Her viewership plummeted. The higher-ups were not pleased about that, obviously. So I believe they mutually agreed to just walk away. Next one jumps into the sports category. As I've mentioned before on my other episodes, I love sports. So I'll always probably try to find a way to at least sprinkle something in. Uh, but this one is probably the most uh, famous in the sports world for cancel culture, and that would be Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick first drew attention to himself when he was wearing socks before a game during warm-ups that had pigs on them, cops or pigs. And then Colin Kaepernick proceeded to kneel during the national anthem before games on more than one occasion. And the NFL fans, not all, obviously, but a lot of NFL fans did not like that, as you can imagine. Um, If you've ever paid attention to sports at all, you've probably noticed over the past 20 years or so, or I mean, for sure past 20 years, but even more so than that, whether it's basketball, football, on the collegiate or professional level, even high school level, there have been instances where someone has not stood for the Pledge of Allegiance. I know that's happened before, um, for like based on religion. I think it happened maybe in the early 2000s after 9-11 and someone who practiced Islam and I believe high school did not want to stand for the national anthem before their game or maybe that was in college but Colin Kaepernick was kneeling because he did not agree or protesting against the systemic racism he says exists in the police system. Now in my opinion there were a lot of ways for him to bring attention to that cause of his and he didn't have to go straight for kneeling during the national anthem. I mean he basically just dropped a bomb into the lap of the NFL fans and said, hey, here you go. Tick, tick, boom. He could have just brought attention to it in post-game interviews. He could have used his platform as a professional athlete to bring attention to it, but instead went big or went home and decided to do it on a game day during the national anthem, which I think was too strong and just alienated too many fans. And he was already a backup at the time after appearing in the Super Bowl uh, a couple years prior. And now he has uh, not returned to the NFL, uh, which is fine for him. He's still managed to make millions of dollars. But he did have an attempt to come back to the NFL. Uh, This was, I believe, two years ago. A tryout was set up in Atlanta, and NFL teams that were interested were supposed to show up and you know watch him work out, see if he deserved another shot in the NFL, if he still had the skills to do it. And then also, off the record... NFL teams were probably considering whether or not they wanted to deal with the media push if they did bring him onto their team. But Colin Kaepernick wasn't about trying out, at least that's not what it seems like. He just wanted the attention because he ultimately reneged on some of the agreement for the workout and changed locations and had a camera crew. So his actions were speaking louder than his words. Didn't seem like he wanted to get back in the NFL. Seemed like he was fine doing what he's doing, making millions of dollars, with documentaries and everything, and he was more interested in in the notoriety than actually earning his way back onto an NFL team. Another recent event of cancel culture, going back to, I think, earlier this year, is the cancellation of six Dr. Seuss books uh, that were considered racially insensitive. Now, Dr. Seuss goes back a long time, um, so it doesn't surprise me that there could be some racially insensitive things within, within his books. But those six books that are no longer going to be reprinted are And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street, If I Ran the Zoo, McElligot's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Supper, and The Cat's Quizzer. And those six books were canceled on Read Across America Day, 
which is also Dr. Seuss's birthday. Now, now going back to last year, last summer, amid the aftermath of uh, the George Floyd death, was the cancellation of Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's, and Mrs. Buttersworth. As I'm sure we all know, Aunt Jemima and Mrs. Buttersworth, their main things are pancake syrup. Um, Aunt Jemima, I know for a fact, also does pancake mix. And then Uncle Ben's has a lot of rice sides and maybe a couple pasta sides. I know I like them, like parboiled rice in little packets. You cut open the top a couple of inches to let it vent, let it steam, and it's just 90 seconds in the microwave. Delicious. Quick and easy. But those three all came out within a day or so of each other. Um saying that they were going to take a look at their branding and make changes. So the first of them was Aunt Jemima. And Aunt Jemima, in my opinion, overreacted. And you'll see where where that's ended up. So Aunt Jemima did a complete 180. Someone within their company, they're owned by Pepsi, or a brand of Pepsi, decided that it'd be best to announce that they will remove the image of Aunt Jemima from its packaging and change the name of the brand because they are acknowledging its racist roots. Now, the Aunt Jemima character was last updated in the 1960s, which is the woman you saw on the bottle up until recently when they changed their branding. But that last update in the 1960s included the lightening of the skin and the removal of the handkerchief from her head. Now, growing up, we had Aunt Jemima syrup. We've had Aunt Jemima syrup in our pantry before. We've recently switched to... um, Maple syrup, just to get rid of the high fructose corn syrup and, and all the other things. But I never thought about any racist origins with Aunt Jemima. That's probably because that last update was in the 60s and got rid of that handkerchief and everything like that that tied it more closely to the racist origins. But as I mentioned at the beginning of this example, Aunt Jemima, they did, they did the biggest 180. So they could have come out and said, hey, we're going to talk to thought leaders and leaders in the black community and within our organization and within our company to determine what the next best steps would be for our brand. But they decided to come out and just say that they're already committing to name change and logo change. So then they kind of box themselves in, right? You can't say you're going to do something and then go back. That's going to make the cancel culture even worse. So where'd they end up? The new name for Aunt Jemima is Pearl Milling company. Now, Pearl Milling Company is the original company, the name of the of the original company that started Aunt Jemima. They were a flowering company. Like I said, Aunt Jemima does do pancake mix also in addition to syrup, but that was the original company, Pearl Milling Company. But what I don't get is if Aunt Jemima was trying to move away from the racist roots, why would you turn the clock all the way back to 18... 18- 88, when your brand began, wouldn't you say that's even closer to the racist roots? I don't understand. (laughs) I think the people that work for the Aunt Jemima brand went too far at the beginning by committing to a name change and a logo change, and then they went too far at the end and missed it a second time by going even closer to the origination date of Aunt Jemima, which has racist roots. So in my opinion, Aunt Jemima, that brand, they just they just messed it up at the start and then, then the fix. Now Uncle Ben's is more in the middle. So Uncle Ben's is a brand of Mars Inc. And Uncle Ben's statement last summer was, quote, as we listen to the voices of consumers, especially in the black community, and to the voices of our associates worldwide, 
we recognize that now is the right time to evolve the Uncle Ben's brand, including its visual brand identity. So see, that was more, more measured. I'm going to talk to consumers, voices in the black community, and their associates worldwide, you know, gathering information. That's all good things to do. Once you gather all the information, then you weigh your options. So that led to ultimately Uncle Ben's name being changed to Ben's Original. Now, the third is Mrs. Buttersworth. And I think Mrs. Buttersworth did the best job. Uncle Ben's, or now Ben's Original, is a close second. But the parent company of Mrs. Buttersworth is Conagra Brands. And they said in their statement at the time last summer in uh, mid-June, quote, The Mrs. Buttersworth brand, including its syrup packaging, is intended to evoke the images of a loving grandmother. We stand in solidarity with our black and brown communities, and we can see that our packaging may be interpreted in a way that is wholly inconsistent with our values. See, again, measured. They clarified what they are trying to accomplish with their current branding. They said that they will listen to those in the black and brown communities. So they're trying to learn, gather information so they can determine their next course of action. And they did not commit to something for gathering all that information and having discussions about the next steps. And what is the name of Mrs. Buttersworth today? Mrs. Buttersworth. Another example that I have here is J.K. Rowling. Now, for those of you who do not know, J.K. Rowling is most famous for being the author and creator of Harry Potter. Harry Potter has turned her into a billionaire. J.K. Rowling, they tried to cancel her because she took issue with an article that said, quote, people who menstruate. Her issue with what with that was, what do you mean people, women, menstruate? Well, a lot of others didn't like that, so they tried to label her transphobic. But because J.K. Rowling is a billionaire, she has what's considered um, screw you money, so she couldn't be canceled. And it turns out, as I'll touch on uh, towards the end of this episode, but she wrote a letter and had 150 additional celebrities and thought leaders sign it. So she was too big to sink. Eminem, for you millennials out there, or Gen Wires, as I prefer, Eminem has always had harsh lyrics. He always speaks his mind. Um, word in the rap game is that you do not go after Eminem because uh, he will lyrically end you. But I guess the Gen Z generation does not like Eminem so much because they tried to cancel him also failed. And what they were going after is someone took the lyrics from his song, I Love the Way You Lie with Rihanna, came out in 2010, and said that that song promotes domestic violence, uh, more specifically referring to the, the portion of the song where it basically says, like, if you ever try to leave again, I'll tie you to the bed and let the house on fire. Well, that came up with a hashtag, you know, to cancel Eminem. And then it quickly turned to his Gen Y millennial fans, use that same hashtag to generate support and say, no, he's not advocating, promoting domestic violence. He is trying to use it to bring awareness to it. Because a lot of people who get stuck in those types of situations don't know what to say or don't know where to go. So because of that uprising of his Gen Y millennial fans, he survived. 
Now, a more recent one is Gina Carano. Um, for those of you who have Disney Plus or Star Wars fans, she plays Cara Dune on The Mandalorian, or played Cara Dune, because she was successfully canceled. Uh, Disney and Lucasfilms canceled her uh, earlier this year, back in February, I believe, for what they described as, quote, abhorrent material that compared the current divided political climate in the United States to Nazi Germany. Now that sounds severe, right? So what did Gina actually say? What Gina said is she, in a tweet, well, with a picture, but the words of her tweet were, quote, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? So Gina got canceled. She got dumped. Contract terminated from Disney and Lucasfilms. She has been in two seasons of The Mandalorian at the time. But Gina has survived after being canceled by Disney and Lucasfilms uh, within, I think, a week's time or maybe less than that. She signed an agreement with The Daily Wire, and now she is, with part of that agreement, she is going to, I believe, help produce and direct and star in her own feature film with The Daily Wire. Now, what's a podcast episode that deals with politics and media and culture without a mention of Donald Trump? So Donald Trump got canceled from Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook because he was charged by them for with inciting violence, going back to January 6th. And at the time when he was first canceled, he was still the president of the United States, so that shows you how much power some of these big tech social media companies have, their platforms. So he's been removed again from Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, the president at the time of the United States. Now, it's taken him a few months since then to, I guess, get his ducks in order and put things in motion, but within the last two weeks, he announced and has started using basically his own blog, his own website, where he can now publish his own views and everyone who wants to hear from him can go there to, to read about it because it doesn't look like he's going to be getting back on Twitter or Instagram anytime soon. Parler was uh, taken offline by Amazon Web Services and Parler was canceled uh, earlier this year. And Facebook just got a six-month extension after their review board decided that they're allowed to um, kick Trump off of Facebook and Instagram for now, but maybe not permanently. And now it's up for Facebook to decide that. My last example of cancel culture is Megyn Kelly. Uh, Megyn Kelly was a star, late primetime host. I think she had the 8 o'clock time slot, the Kelly file on Fox News. Then after 2016, I think early mid-2017, she left Fox News and went to NBC to try something different. She tried a daily show. And in 2018, during the course of that daily show, um, I forget what started it, but something was going on at the time that, that had to deal with, with blackface. Maybe it was spun off from Governor Northam in Virginia or Justin Trudeau in Canada and them being caught with blackface. I'm not, I don't remember. But on her show, she was, she was talking about it. And she's, I believe, now like around 50 years old. So she grew up in, I guess, teenager. She was in the early 80s, something like that. Uh, early to mid 80s. 
And she asked the question, which I think is fine to ask. She said, basically, there's a difference between using blackface and dressing up as someone, let's say, like for Halloween, as someone who is black out of admiration for that person. Like at the time, you know, Michael Jackson, extremely popular in the 80s, obviously. So if someone to be Michael Jackson, if a white person would be Michael Jackson for Halloween, is that necessarily bad? You know, that's what she was getting at. But the uh, woke cultural mob did not like that. Huge amounts of backlash for it. NBC didn't want to touch it, didn't want to keep her on, get involved. So the contract ended. They agreed to part ways. I believe they still paid Megyn Kelly tens of millions of dollars um, of her contract that still remained at the time. And now she uncanceled herself because she now has her own at least right now, podcast media company called Devil May Care Media and has her own podcast called The Megan Kelly Show. So it pays to have uh, resources, put yourself back out there. So now I believe the question is, is how do you fight back against cancel culture? I think there are a couple of different uh, ways to do so. Um, as you may have picked up in the examples of J.K. Rowling, Donald Trump, Megan Kelly, they all had the financial means, and Gina Carano, <clears throat> they all had the financial means and the resources to basically uncancel themselves. Uh, J.K. Rowling is a billionaire, um, so even if that attempt was successful, she would have the financial means to get her voice back out there. No doubt about that. Donald Trump, billionaire, also former president of the United States, obviously has connections, and now his voice is back out there. Not in a easily usable and distributable format as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, but so far he has a way to get his voice back out there. Gina Carano had uh, the Daily Wire on her side, a conservative um, media company, so she was picked right back up. And then Megyn Kelly, like we just talked about, she took about a year and a half, I think, to kind of get her footing after the contract ended in the, in the termination or the um, leaving NBC. And now she has her own media company and her own podcast, so her voice is back out there. So I believe alternative platforms is one of the primary ways to combat, to fight back against cancel culture. And you'll hear in a few of some of the mission statements of these new media companies that, you know, that's one of their, that's part of their mission is to give a voice to those who still deserve the voice. There are also some movements and organizations that are, that are being set up to combat cancel culture. One of them is the unsilenced majority. Or you could go the um, the more, I guess, grassroots route, like J.K. Rowling I mentioned. She wrote a letter and had 150 other people sign it um, in support of what she said, but in support of fighting against uh, cancel culture. Now, like each episode, I ask the question, What's the big picture? What's the next course of action? Is cancel culture an infringement of free speech? I asked that at the outset in the intro at the beginning. I think it is. I touched on it in episode two. You know, the First Amendment gives us the right to free speech. Obviously, there's some conditions to that. Like, you can't use it for libel and slander. But cancel culture isn't about libel and slander. Cancel culture is about trying to shut people up who go against the loudest majority's societal and cultural norms trying to cast you out, ostracize you. 
And that's an infringement on free speech. We can say, as long as you're not slandering someone or being uh, committing libel, you can say whatever you want to say. But the cancel culture has been successful despite that. Despite that we're allowed to say whatever we want to say, cancel culture has scared people so much so of the repercussions of having a different view, a different ideology, a different belief. So scared of those repercussions from those different beliefs <clears throat> that people are withholding their speech. And that's not freedom. Being so intimidated and scared that you withhold your speech and don't speak your mind, that is exactly what cancel culture wants to do. They are canceling you without ever even attacking you. Cancel culture doesn't allow for mistakes. If you make an honest mistake, you should have the right to correct it or the opportunity to correct it, like Uncle Ben's example and Mrs. Buttersworth. They acknowledged that, hey, what we have here, you know, can be taken in the wrong way. We're going to talk to people, get feedback, and then we're going to move forward with our next step in our potential rebranding. You know, they're saying we're not trying to promote racism or anything like that. So let us take some time, figure out a solution, and correct this issue. And mistakes, what are they, although they're not enjoyable, they give us the opportunity to learn. So that those same mistakes hopefully are not made again in the future. Either by yourself or by others. Cancel culture also shuts down discussions. If you're so against someone's other beliefs and ideologies that you don't want to discuss them with them, who does that benefit? Having open, honest discussions, conversations is how we can learn about one another. That kind of goes back to my previous episode in episode two about intellectual dishonesty versus intellectual honesty. Intellectual dishonesty is basically you don't want to hear the facts and you're just going to stick to, to what you consider to be your truth, whereas intellectual honesty means that despite your beliefs, your truth, you will listen to actual truth and be open and change your opinion. So what should that next course of action be? Should cancel culture be stopped or can cancel culture remain, but no one be scared of it and people will speak freely and not flinch in fear of being canceled? I believe that the response to cancel culture depends on a few factors. One of those factors is you are responding to the cancellation of yourself or of a company that you may own or a corporation, which they have responsibilities to their shareholders. Now, if you are responding for yourself, then I think the next thing you have to consider is what exactly was said. If you said something that should be universally condemned across the board, such as hate speech, then you need to apologize. But if you're being canceled for an opinion that's different from that cultural norm, then you should stick up for what you said. Don't fear those repercussions. Don't fear the pushback. Stick up for yourself. You have the right to. But if you're a corporation, then like I said, your responsibility is to your shareholders. So you have to have a more measured approach. Like I said, like the example with Uncle Ben's and Mrs. Buttersworth. Aunt Jemima came out immediately and committed to a new name and logo. Put themselves in a, in a corner. Now they have to make those changes, whether that's best or not for their brand or the company. Whereas Mrs. Buttersworth said that they'll discuss with different groups, get feedback, and decide what to do next. So I believe that there needs to be pushback to cancel culture with some nuance. But don't be afraid to speak your mind by expressing your opinions, beliefs, and ideals. 
Learn to respond to others that don't agree with you. And remember, the First Amendment gives us the right to free speech. Do not worry about the reaction of others to the extent that you will not speak at all. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on the Counterthought podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.